So they have fallen in love on a boat. They've fallen out of love on land. I would love for them to have like a, oh, we're friends, but maybe there's something a little bit more on like a long plane ride and they both survive. (laughs) That's all I want. I want them to both live. Welcome to Blind Spotters, a movie podcast about the movies we've missed. I'm Zach Pocklib. And I'm Amanda Luberto. And today we're doing a movie swap. I watched Revolutionary Road for the first time. And Amanda, what did you watch? I watched Two for the Road. Surprisingly, these are not two movies about road trips. There is only one of them that is about that, but we will discuss it more later. But until we get there, Amanda, how are you doing? What have you been watching? I'm doing good. I think on the last podcast, I was just about to go to California. I have since returned, got to spend some time with one Kelsey Hess, which was a blast, and some of our other friends like Sam um, and Carly, which was also wonderful. Kelsey and I saw Barbie at Century City, which was very funny. Incredible. (laughs) And Kelsey was like, I just keep hearing about Century City. Would you want to see it there? And I was like, absolutely, specifically (laughs) because you don't know why people are talking about it. So it was really fun. We like ate our way through Los Angeles, had a great time. We like physically bumped into John Mulaney. That was was wild. I keep forgetting that that happened. We were leaving a bar and he was leaving a restaurant in... I'm going to say West Hollywood. I'm 99% positive West Hollywood. And like literally like almost like collided. <laughs> it was really funny. Um, so, did you ask him about the bear? No. <laughs> we did not speak. It was enough time for me to be like, what? <laughs> like on the whole drive home, Kelsey's like, he's handsome. <laughs> it was very sweet. <laughs> wow. You really had an LA moment. Yes. Had a very LA moment. So that was fun. Okay. So... Other than all of that, (laughs) I have been watching not a lot of movies, um, but I feel like I've been watching really good movies. I've just been super busy, but I finally watched After Sun, and it was really gutting and beautiful. Um, So I loved After Sun. On the opposite end of the spectrum, uh, a movie that came out earlier this year, I watched (laughs) Infinity Pool. Which, if you think you know what that movie's about, you don't. Like, it was so wild. And we are just absolutely blessed as horror fans. I wouldn't even say it's like a horror movie. It's like a psychological thriller with, like, some gore, I guess. But there's no, like, it's not, like, supernatural or, I don't know. It's not, like, a scary movie necessarily. It's just very, very, very intense. Um, But to live in a time where Mia Goth gets to just play the most unhinged characters on screen, we're so lucky. She's so talented at being just off her rocker a little bit, which was great. (laughs) And then, of course, the Skarsgård is in there, uh, which was really fun to watch. Um, Last movie I wanted to shout out was the actual horror movie, the A24 movie that is doing really, really well at the box office, which I'm super happy about, is Talk to Me. Um, I didn't have a ton of expectations. I just knew that like some people were really enjoying it, but I hadn't really read too much into it. So I kind of went just because I had some time and I heard enough about it and it was really, really good. Definitely like a little less psychological than A24 can be sort of this like, you know, quote unquote elevated horror, but it definitely was just like straight up scary movie, but like done really well, which was super cool. 
Beautiful. I will say on After Sun, uh, what lives in my head frequently is when Frankie Corio is just talking about being sad and you feel it in your bones. And I'm just like sad. Love a dad with a arm cast on uh, taking so care cute. of his daughter. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, c- could I watch Infinity Pool? I think you could. It's just like fucked up. Okay. <laughs> like, like, I don't know if it's like scary, but you're just like, what the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck? <laughs> Ugh, what the fuck? It's a lot of that. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. I know I can't watch Talk to Me. I'm no, that's like me. a... I just don't think you'd enjoy it, but Infinity Pool is like really bonkers, and it's a 2023 movie, so you can oh, boost yeah. your numbers. God, I need to watch so many more 2023 movies. I'm so behind. So how are you, Zach? What have you been up to? What have you been watching? I'm so tired. I think since our last pod we recorded, I've been to Nashville and Boston, um, mm-hmm. two great cities i'd say uh i understand the broadway thing even though i'm not a huge country music fan and then boston was great ate a lot of italian food and oh, it was yeah, a good brother. time so i haven't been watching a ton of movies because i've been uh flying uh and and just on the road for work but i have been watching a few i'm so curious to find out if you haven't been watching a lot of movies in like zach terms or like human terms <laughs> probably zach terms um because the week i was back between nashville and boston i did inhale a lot of movies on criterion because they had obviously put out their august slate which includes a k francis collection k francis was a big like pre-code movie star who then just disappeared off the face of the earth by like 1950 um and so one of those movies I watched was One Way Passage, a really sweet romantic film with her and William Powell from The Thin Man. Um, felt a little wrong to see him having a romance with someone other than Myrna Loy, but he and uh, Kay Francis did have, I think, six or seven movies together. One Way Passage, I really loved. Trouble in Paradise is probably another one that's really famous um, from their collaborations, but uh, One Way Passage, it just takes place over the course of a month on a boat. It's sweet. Incredible. I also watched uh, Deep Cover, which is a like neo-noir film from the 90s with Lawrence Fishburne, who was at the time credited as Larry Fishburne. I think I've seen this movie. And Jeff Goldblum. Um, they play mm. um, drug dealers, undercover cops, um, and rock solid. Um, sick soundtrack. Uh, really cool. Enjoyed it a lot. And Lawrence Fishburne, uh, a late entrance into my own personal, like if I have a documentary made about me, maybe this person could narrate. Oh, hell Yeah. And then uh, the last one on like the opposite end of the spectrum is I finally got around to watching Maggie's Plan, which is a movie starring Greta Gerwig, Julianne Moore, and Ethan Hawke. Mm, mm-hmm. um, Bill Hader is in there as well, and Maya Rudolph. It's fine. It's okay. It's like a mm-hmm. mid-2010s, like, quirky, zany, rom-com adjacent, kind of like cynical-tinged type of thing. Like It's like Noah Baumbach light flavoring of a story Mm -hmm. but it's always fun to see all those people on screen um so i enjoyed it enough those are the movies we've been watching let's talk about the movies we've been swapping let's get this back on track back on the (laughs) road road. if you will (laughs) (laughs) um and so amanda why don't you say tell people why these movies are paired so we're watching revolutionary road and two for the road so if you listen to last month's episode you'll know that zach thought that these were both road trip movies but they actually have more in common than it sort of originally meets the eye you watch this relationship in two for the road blossom and fall apart and revolutionary road you sort of you watch a little bit like the the meet cute and then 
how everyone talks about them being this amazing couple, but we're watching them fall apart internally. It is like a movie where there's, you know, two main actors that are both amazing actors in their own coming together for this romance film, this fight movie, this drama of sorts. So it does have a little bit more in common than we were anticipating, which I thought worked out really well. I watched them like a day apart um, and I thought it was a good pair. Yeah, I think maybe we should amend this uh, topic to or this theme to love on the rocks. Um, oh, yeah, I like <laughs> because, that. Uh, these are relationships in the balance uh, as we meet them. Um, yes. But we'll talk about that all a lot as we get on. Let's flip the coin and I will not cut out the coin flip this time. Amanda, <laughs> <laughs> what would you like to pick? Heads. It's tails. All right, that's two so, in a row for you. I'm mentally, I'm going to try to keep track now. I, I was just about to say, I think that we've been flipping back and forth for a little bit now, but who knows? <laughs> Joe Setley's still waiting on you. Um, let's talk Come about Revolutionary Joe. Road first. That's so funny because I was going to choose two for the road, and I feel like we almost <laughs> always want to choose the same movie. That's true. All right, let's do it. Let's start with Revolutionary Road. All right, Zach, let us know what happened in 2008's Revolutionary Road. Revolutionary Road, directed by Sam Mendes, written by Justin Haith, based on the novel of the same name, written by Richard Yates. A lot of yelling. That's what happens. Okay, this movie <laughs> opens with the Wheelers, Frank and April, played by Leo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet, respectively. Driving back from play, April was in and fighting in the car. Clearly, their marriage is on the rocks. They had met in the late 1940s when Frank was a longshoreman and April was an aspiring actress. But when we meet them again, they are a suburban couple with two kids living in Connecticut. April hasn't become an actress and she's basically a, just a housewife and pretty bored with her day-to-day -day life. And Frank on the other end is a disillusioned suit with a tedious job working in the city. On his 30th birthday, Frank cheats on April with a new secretary who is played by Zoe Kazan and breaks down when April and his kids celebrate his birthday when he comes home. Later that night, April suggests they move to Paris to start a new life. She can work at the embassy as a translator and Frank can kind of just figure out what he wants to do. Seems pretty cush. Frank agrees and their marriage picks up again with the excitement of the move coming up. They tell their friends, Shep and Millie Campbell, played by David Harbour and Catherine Hahn, who are confused or jealous or a mixture of all those things. They also tell their friend and realtor, Helen Givings, who is played by Kathy Bates. Around the same time, Givings brings her troubled son, John, who is played by Michael Shannon. And John's actually one of the people that understands their decision the most um, to get away from the, I believe, hopeless emptiness of their lives. However, as they are close to moving, Frank is offered a promotion and April becomes pregnant once again. April wants to have an abortion, which Frank finds kind of, he just disagrees with it. And Frank takes the promotion despite April's pleas not to do so. So things are back on shaky ground once again. At a jazz bar with the Campbells, Shep and April end up alone. April confides in him with her um, depression and just general upset nature of how things have gone. And then they have sex. Shep declares his love for her and is rejected. The next day, Frank confesses his affair in hopes of reconciling with April, but she's kind of emotionless and apathetic toward it all. And she says that she no longer loves him. The Givings family comes over and the Wheelers tell them of their scrapped plans to which John criticizes both of them. And after the givings leave, Frank and April have a gigantic fight. April leaves the house to think and Frank gets hammered. But when he wakes up in the morning, he wakes up to April really peacefully making him breakfast and being a dutiful housewife. But it's kind of creepy and uh, emotionless. 
April then goes to the bathroom to perform an abortion on herself, which she wanted to do earlier. It goes wrong, and she later dies in the hospital. Frank, who is distraught, obviously, moves to the city with his kids and starts selling computers, spending all his spare time with his kids, and their house on Revolutionary Road is sold to a new young couple. I was even thinking while you're doing your movie summary, this is the second Blind Spotters movie where David Harbour plays the husband of somebody who has an affair with the couple um, in question. The other movie is Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> it's also just another movie in which David Harbour comes in for like 10 minutes and kind of fucks shit up a little yeah, bit. Yeah, exactly. Like he does in State of Play. Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and say to play, though, for yeah. sure. <laughs> um, why don't you tell me why you picked this movie other than the fact that David Harbour continues to be a 10-minute king or 10-second king, if you ask Kate Winslet? Yeah. Um, so this was the reuniting of Winslet and DiCaprio after Titanic. This was a huge movie event. People were always so excited for them to work together. And as we watched them fall in love in Titanic, we were watching them very vividly fall out of love in Revolutionary Road. I think it's a good film. I guess I'm on the fence maybe, but it's a movie I think about a lot. And it's definitely on my list of, I'm not sure if it's actually good or if I just like it. So I'm going to make Zach watch it so we can discuss. <laughs> well, I'm happy to be your guinea pig. <laughs> so what were your first impressions and what stood out to you? Literally, my first impression was, oh, this is going to be a bad hang. Oh, no. <laughs> like when it they're was... in the car. Oh, yeah. The, yeah. I was like, oh, cool. This is going to be great. I can already like uh, they're obviously seeding and foreshadowing all the issues within the marriage and just uh, their relationship in general. And I'm just like, oh, this is going to be tough. And it was it was a tough hang. You can see the characters not understanding what the problem is. If you didn't have to watch this movie for homework, would you have turned the movie off after the car fight? No, no, no. I would have okay. I would have ran the whole movie. Um I there's very rarely I don't finish a movie. I think the only time I've DNF'd a movie was uh Meet Cute, that Pete Davidson, Kelly Cuoco one. Oh, I don't even remember it's, that. Extra, it's awful. The other thing that stood out right away is just the Mad Men energy was so palpable. Um <laughs> we're two people yeah. who love that show. And obviously if you're watching the movie in real time even Mad Men had been going on for about a year or two at this point. That show debuted in 2007. Suburban family with the man who ends up not being faithful and is upset with his life. Like the Pete Campbell energy was just seeping out of Frank. I know. <laughs> and so that was... <laughs> and, and we don't spend enough time for uh, uh, for Frank to get the kind of Pete kind of redemption. Like there's some like reclamation of Pete, right? Pete ends up okay. Which honestly, <laughs> good for Pete. I could talk about Pete Campbell forever, so we got to move on. Literally, Zoe Kazan is like, you know, martini drunk. And I'm like, oh, no, she's going to end up being like Peggy, but without the like advertising talent. Okay, she's just going to have a kid by a guy. Obviously, that didn't happen, but uh, it was really hard to not think of those things. But other than it's going to be a bad hang and this movie is like Mad Men, but like Sad Men. <laughs> Thank you. I was really proud of that one. Uh, Kate Winslet is the thing that stood out about this movie. She's great. Wow. She's so fucking good in this movie. This is going to be such a dumb sentence. I hadn't ever been on the, wow, Kate Winslet train. Mm -hmm. 
Like I'm not anti Kate Winslet. I've just never watched her in something and been like, she's dope. Like she is a star. I know I'm wrong or I know I missed the trade on it, but like I didn't watch Titanic until like three years ago. You're pretty Winslet neutral. Yeah. And so this was like a movie where I was like, oh, you know what? She's like amazing and beautiful. And uh, also another thing my cursed brain has is like everybody, especially when Florence Pugh was coming up, was like, she kind of reminds me of Kate Winslet. And I was like, I don't really know anything about Kate Winslet, but I'm happy for everybody that thinks so. Mm hmm. It's a very emotionally fraught performance, but she never seems too on edge or too much of like overacting. I mean, yes, she screams at a pitch that is known only to like maybe Black Canary and DC Comics, but it's um, one of my favorite scenes. <laughs> if you if you touch me, I will scream. <laughs> and she does. And he's like, ah. I gotta and believe that was stop. just Leo being like, what the fuck is coming out of your mouth right now? It's awesome. uh, <laughs> but the craziest thing was learning that she was married to Sam Mendes while they made this movie. Yeah. I didn't know yes. that at all. Yes, they were. They're, yep. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, do you want to talk about any Kate Winslet thoughts before I get into the whole Sam Mendes of it all? Yeah. Um, I love Kate Winslet. I am in between you and give Kate Winslet keys to the city as far as fandom. I am not well-versed in a lot of her work, but the movies that I like by her, I like a lot. I was probably, I mean, I'm sure I saw Titanic as a kid, so I'm sure that was the first time I saw her, but like the first time I was like, oh, this is this actor, and this is like what they do, is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. So that's uh, a movie I adore a lot, so that's one of my favorite movies, so that's one of my favorite performances. And, you know, since then, I've obviously seen her in a lot of things, but most recently in um, Mare of Easttown, which I know, I'm not, I don't remember if you watched or not, but I really loved, um, and it was fun to see her sort of go back to some some lighter affair in this film, which is saying something. <laughs> Damn. Um, yeah, I haven't, see, that's the other thing. I've not watched Mare of Easttown. I watched Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, like, in high school because I was on Tumblr, but yeah. I never registered, like... I was like Jim Carrey and and the girl. Like, yeah. <laughs> and, then, and she and then, like looks she obviously looks different. The two movies I had seen Kate Winslet in the most, honestly, up until this point, is The Holiday, All Timer. But even in that movie, I'm like, you know, Jude Law and Cameron Diaz are over there. And um then the other movie I'd seen her in the most is Steve Jobs, which is like I think I watched that movie twice before registering that that was Kate Winslet as Joanna Hoffman. Um, just because she looks a little different, yeah. she's doing like a weird accent. Um, obviously, she's great, but this was a fun. Like, I don't know, it kind of clicked into place with me. Like, oh, cool, Kate Winslet, movie star. She rules. So I was reading a little bit just about. I know the steps on research, but just like her being married to Sam Mendes, like it was her second marriage, and having her husband direct scenes with her and Leo had to be weird <laughs> or yeah. awkward. And it seemed like it was as much like all the stories from set that I read were it was like weird tension or like it was just, you know, it's an uncomfortable movie, uncomfortable script. But Kate Winslet was really trying to make sure that she the other actors could like speak to her freely without thinking that she would tell Sam when they went to bed like it wouldn't be quote unquote pillow talk. Um, and I thought Mark Harris put it funnily. He said the result, Leo and Kate together again, a decade after Titanic and another wrenching portrait of two people trying not to drown. Good. Which I thought was funny. Sam Mendes is an interesting guy. I like his movies. I forgot to mention in the cabaret pod 
that Sam Mendes was actually the one who brought the 1993 cabaret like back to the stage. He did oh. the 93 rendition that sort of like revamped everything going on with that movie. So, or going on with that production. So that's always very exciting. Um, I love Skyfall and Spectre. Those are two of my favorite movies, but also like on the other hand, like (laughs) had this situation with Kate Winslet also like might have had an affair with Rebecca Hall. And like, that's why they got divorced also like is in support of charges against Rowan Polanski being dropped so that he can come back to America. <laughs> Things are really odd with Sam Mendes. That's a tough one. So I've seen probably like half his movies. Like I've never seen American Beauty and I haven't seen Empire of Light, but like 1917, Road to Perdition, mm-hmm. Jarhead. I think other than Skyfall, I'm kind of like eh on a lot of his movies. Like I know a lot of people love Road to Perdition and that cast is sick. It just never gets off the ground for me. I like that movie. I don't love that movie. Yeah. 1917. I that, That's a Deacons movie. Like, yeah, I <laughs> agree. Know? Skyfall's so good. Yeah, Skyfall fucking rocks. But yeah. it was like a whoa thing learning about him and Kate Winslet. That is one of those relationships I always forget about. Yeah, super weird. Anyway, so I thought of her. And then obviously, Leo, you know, you got to... Yeah. You know, think about him, I guess. It's an interesting Leo performance because I can't tell if I liked this one, like this flavor of him. It's giving Jordan Belfort at times, like his Leo scream face where his like face gets all scrunchy. Yeah, that's what I was trying to think. I was trying to like parse through like it felt like a movie sampling of other movies with better performances of those things. Huh. Okay. That's really interesting. Like I thought he was better at being angry and unhinged did like the departed or the wolf of wall street you know i just felt like it was like he was doing all his moves but it wasn't like coming off as well if that makes sense i think that's i think that's right i definitely like the kate winslet performance more than i like the leo performance but i also like like the leo performance i don't think he's like necessarily bad in this film i do enjoy him in this movie But I definitely, because it is the two of them going back and forth, of course. Kate, to me, is the one that, like, stands out anytime I watch this film. So I know their, like, romantic chemistry is, like, a thing. Obviously, like, Titanic and... Yeah. But I feel like their fight chemistry isn't as good. Oh, that's probably... That might be true. And I know there's not supposed to be a chemistry in fights. But, like, I feel like we've all watched movies where they react and play off each other well. I felt like it was two great actors having fights in their own little pods. Does that make sense? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. I don't know. Um, we can we can just move on to what I've thought about the most because I thought about that a lot. <laughs> I would also say this most recent time when I watched it for the podcast, it became really clear to me that this is a book. I feel like I've watched a few movies lately where I'm like, oh, yes, this is like clearly a very good book that is like now a movie. Knock at the Cabin, the Shyamalan movie that came out this year is very similar. That's that's also kind of how I felt about women talking. I was like, I'm sure this like play or screenplay or whatever it is before this is very, very good. I'm sure I would like devour this written, but I don't know if it's like really coming for me on the screen. And maybe that's where I feel in this movie where I'm like, if this was a book, I like don't know if I'd be able to put it down, but I don't know if it's like translating super well. Yeah. And this goes into kind of what I was thinking about a lot is it does capture like the suburban 
monochromatic beige-ness of life. In a lot of the reviews I was reading, it was people talking about like, oh, Sam Mendes is talking about the suburbs again, you know, and, and like he had an American Beauty. I hadn't read the book, but maybe there's a lot more interiority um, to the characters. I just felt like we were seeing because it was moving through time kind of quickly and just kind of hitting like the big moments. I felt disconnected from the characters a little bit, even though I wanted to know more. Like I wanted to know more about um, Frank and how he ended up in this job and why and does he actually have any aspirations at all? Uh, I wanted to know more about April and like what happened to wanting to become an actress. I think I guess it's probably because they got, you know she got pregnant really quick. Um, but there, there just felt like like a disconnect in how I was watching it. And, I, and sometimes when we do these uh, swaps, I'll watch a movie close to the record date because I want it fresh. But I decided to watch this one. Um, partially because of the travel schedule, but like a few weeks ago, because I wanted to see like if anything like sat or simmered and how that kind of developed. And it, if anything, it kind of dissipated a little bit more. Um, I went back and rewatched some scenes just to like refresh. But I thought about this with One Night in Miami, where that yeah. was much, very much like a screenplay and a stage play put onto a movie. And mm-hmm. there was like there's something missing in there, and I can't, I couldn't really put a put a my finger on it. I'm really interested because. I, this is obviously like actors acting the film. Like, yes, I'm, I'm not dumb. I can tell, but it's, I don't know. Some of these, uh, scenes like really stick with me. And I think about them often, especially, and I'm thinking about the career of these two people. Um, so I'm curious to know, like moving forward, if how much it will like come to mind to you. But almost it felt like more of like an acting exercise for things more than like a movie. Cause like, if you think about the plot, like the the story kind of happens, but there's not like a development of their characters. It just seems like a, they meet their logical end from where we meet them. It's kind of funny because it's almost the complete inverse of the relationship we watch in Two for the Road, where we see none of the major points of their time. We don't see how Mark becomes a famous architect. We don't see them have their child. We don't see her pregnant. But you're in all of the little like, I know they're on vacation, but like the mundane conversations that they're having and like that's when you really fight it's like when you are having a weird long travel day and you like can't stand to look at each other um for just a bit uh and things like that you're we're not seeing the major parts we are seeing the little parts and in rev road we're only seeing the major parts and we're not seeing any of the little parts i like calling it rev road um yeah i think it's i think a thing that i just was left wanting was like believing that they were ever in love because we we see them meet and then like that's it yeah definitely like, we don't see their love grow and so and maybe it's a part in the book or or something like that and i know that's not the point of the story the point of the story is to show like the disillusionment of their marriage but i i think that's where the story side left me a little cold that's not to say i thought all the acting was sick like i think you made this note like there's so many good actors in this movie david harbour zoe kazan um Catherine Hahn, Kathy Bates. Fucking Kathy um, Bates, baby. I, She's I, so good. Pre, pre I, I don't know, pre like 2015 Catherine Hahn pops up so much more than I remember. Like she's in everything. Everywhere. I know that, she's in everything, but it's like kind of shocking cuz I thought of her only as like rom-com friend. That's But funny. it turns out she's like, "Oh, everything." Yeah, she's ev- she's like the wife in or the friend in like a 100 movies. Yeah. Yeah, I think she's great. I I love Catherine Hahn, and I I really like her in this role too. I love 
her and David Harbour's like dynamic of mm-hmm. the other couple or the couple best friends. Um, obviously, they have their own strife and and dynamics in there. But uh, I'm just thinking of when Frank and April tell them that they're moving to Paris, and they're like, "Oh, that's so weird." And then at the end, Catherine Hahn like sobs. They are the suburbs. Like that is what suburban fifties families are like and i think they both do a really good job of playing that role other thing i thought of was like this is such an oscar Beatty movie that doesn't mean it's like Absolutely. i don't mean that in a bad way but like it's so dramatic the screaming the yelling the sobbing um, yeah and i haven't even brought up the man that got nominated for the oscar uh, michael shannon who comes in for like two scenes fucking heat check olympics yeah for real <laughs> um as I was watching, I'm like, man, I bet people were like, this is going to get Oscar buzz. Or like people in the movie were like, this is going to get Oscar buzz. Yeah, I feel like Sam Mendes always does that. <laughs> That's true. That's a good point. But also like he won an Oscar for his directorial debut. So like I also kind of get it. Michael Shannon in this movie reminds me a lot of the grandfather in the Fablemans. Oh, yes. Jed Hirsch. <laughs> yes. Where it's like, here's a cumulative five minutes, and then he's going to run for Best Supporting Actor. Like, that's just like what's happening right now. <laughs> All right. What were some of the things you looked up about the movie after you watched it? I wanted to know about like the buildup and like reaction and like production of it, because obviously when you reunite the two movie stars from like the biggest movie of all time to that point, people must have been hyped. And apparently this book was well-loved. So again, it's a lot of material to chew on. Um, Kate and Leo have said a million times that they didn't want to work together too much or in um, they wanted to be selective in terms of if they did work together, they just didn't want it to be, you know, a romance rekindling what they had in Titanic. I argue that they should have just given the people what they want because it would have been sick to have them be like, an iconic movie couple like Myrna Loy and William Powell. But people love this movie. Um, it was in a few top 10 lists. Roger Ebert, our guiding light, gave it four stars. He said that the movie shows the American dream awakened by a nightmare. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was a like a tough production. Like Again, Leo was so emotionally like exhausted by the end of it that he pushed off his next two projects to recover a bit from filming wow which is kind of wild <laughs> I, I guess like that's what you can do when you're dicaprio <laughs> right yeah and the, like to, to that point his next two projects that came out i don't know if these were the projects that he needed to film next but his next two projects that came out in 2000 uh, after this one was shutter island and inception Oh, also very intense. <laughs> well, just imagine being like, hey, uh, Marty, hey, Christopher Nolan, um, I need I a moment. I just need a few. Because <laughs> I just had a bunch of fights with Kate Winslet. Yeah. But I'm sure they were both like, take your time, bud. Yeah. But it was interesting reading, again, reading um, about the filming of the movie. Like, it didn't seem like the happiest set or like the easiest thing. Like, Winslet described the the working relationship with Leo as like, challenging and like she felt pressure uh hmm. i think one quote i saw was physically uncomfortable um hmm. and part of that was because th- her husband was directing them um, yeah so that's a lot to unpack in case you didn't know they're no longer married <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> but you know uh i mean and, and this movie made um you know a decent amount of money on a 35 million dollar budget 
76 million dollars at the box office not like a smash hit but just one of those adult dramas that again is is there for the oscars speaking of the oscars the thing i looked up was the oscars it was the 81st oscars also known as uh the dark knight oscars aka the uh slumdog millionaire oscars um (laughs) that movie's not that bad (laughs) the movie's not that bad but it's just it you know this movie uh earned three oscar nominations uh Mm -hmm. one for michael shannon for best supporting actor he lost to heath ledger um nominated for art direction lost to benjamin button and then costume design lost to the duchess just on the oscars note as well i had no idea but kate winslet at this point had six oscar nominations by like 33 years old which she like had broken her own record she's incredible (laughs) (laughs) she has seven now if uh, anybody's keeping track and by everyone i mean yeah that's crazy so it says uh it shows here sense and sensibility titanic iris Eternal Sunshine, Little Children, The Reader, and Steve Jobs. End of a kind of a 10-year run for Kate Winslet of like just being the like most excellent actress in the world. Um, and I think even despite not watching a lot of Kate Winslet movies, I feel like she very quickly and early in her career, like she like skipped the ingenue phase and was like just in serious I play women roles. Um Kind of like where like Saoirse Ronan is, like despite one of her best performances being a high schooler, but like that's not like a aloof, like giggly, whatever. It's like uh, you know, scrappy call me ladybird, like you said you would. It kind of gives that like just adult drama energy. And um I don't know, it's cool to see. I mean, the first time we met Saoirse Ronan that I can remember at least was in The Atonement, where <laughs> she's like super young and playing like a very pivotal role um that's very like founded in adult themes i had never i still have never seen that movie i hadn't seen her until ladybird i was like who's this oh she's great and i tell you're irish (laughs) (laughs) i remember like the media tour of just like saoirse ronan teaches talk show hosts how to say her name (laughs) it's like so Uh, uninteresting (laughs) (laughs) uh kate winslet to to bring us back but kate winslet i feel like is I think part of it is just like I was born in 95. So I just kind of missed like I wasn't going to watch like the reader as a 13 year old dude. Yeah, for sure. Wasn't having anybody show me eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. So I just missed um, that train. But it's really fun. I think a big part of it is that you didn't see Titanic as a kid. Yeah, that's probably true. Like we I had, we had the two part VHS. <laughs> I it's funny. I like had a relationship with the these two actors like before I knew what relationships with actors like really even meant. <laughs> maybe that's another part of like when i say i have like a disconnect in like their love story or whatever like maybe most people in the world were just like yeah of course they're in love it's leo and kate yeah and people have been pining for them to do another movie together yeah um and people still are like people still want them to be in movies together and uh i think it's when he won for the revenant um she was there and like that was a big thing and uh yeah people love Kate and Leo. It's just, it's a big, they're, they've never been together in real life, but there's been a lot of like chitter chatter um, and, and things like that. But I mean, they were like America's cinema couple for all, like a chunk of time and people just wanted to see them together again. Okay. What were uh, your favorite scenes or your favorite scene of the movie? Um, I enjoyed watching them tell everybody they're moving to Paris and like just all the preparations. I love getting ready for a trip, you know? Yeah. 
that's obviously the happiest part of the movie. <laughs> yeah, when she's like getting her like visa and and stuff like that. I like when they're trying to sell the kids toys and the girl's like freaking out. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I also enjoyed the scenes with uh, Frank's coworkers. Uh, you know, just you're out to lunch with your coworkers that you kind of don't really like, but you you, you sit by them. Yeah, and you tell tap. them the basic things of what's going on in your life. Yeah, and you're just like, I and and there was that one asshole dude who's like also in The Crown and like every other British <laughs> movie. Um, yeah. Trying to be like, are you sure it's going to be good? Yeah. <laughs> what are you going to do here in Paris that you can't do here? Uh, the martinis were flowing, you know? Ugh. Love a lunchtime martini. I'm trying to think if I've had a lunchtime martini. I don't think so. I've definitely had a lunchtime glass of wine. Yes. I frequent a lunchtime Negroni. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hot and cold on Postinos, but one of the best things that they've ever sold was a sticker that says it's not illegal to drink lunch to drink wine at lunch. Love that. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I had one of the best Negronis of my life also in Boston at this place oh. called the Fox and Knife. Um, Yum. But anyway, um, yeah, I enjoy just watching them. I, I like just them telling their friends like we're doing this cool thing and then seeing like the envy pour out. Um, and then it climaxes with like them having sex in the kitchen. And I was like, yeah. oh no. <laughs> but, yeah. And it's like, it. you're like, oh, that's, they're pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> like, I know how this works. That's, that's, yep. That's how that is. <laughs> yep. Solid 37 seconds. Yep, that's when it happens. <laughs> <laughs> I guess when I when you think of like favorite, it's like, did I enjoy it? But like, I was impressed by a lot of the scenes. I should say that. Like, I was impressed yeah. by the big fights. I was impressed by... Um, Running through the know. forest. That scene always sticks out to me. My brain is so shattered because when they were running through the forest, I was thinking of the scene in The Place Beyond the Pines where Ryan Gosling's riding through the forest and then like he notices Ben Mendelsohn on his own bike. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I, I, I just, it's a weird energy to be in. <laughs> All right. Do you have any questions for me? Anything you don't think you understood or just want to know about? A couple. So one, do you think Paris would have helped? Absolutely not. He would have been okay not being the provider of that family for like maybe a week and a half, two weeks. And then it would have become a huge point of tension. One of them would have been happy. Yes. <laughs> but Instead not both. No. Um, <laughs> but I guess here, neither of them are happy. So maybe that, that's what I'm helped. saying. <laughs> you're, you're 0 for 2 in Connecticut, but you could be 1 for 2 in, in Paris. I just feel like they could be like 2 for 2 if they moved to New York. <laughs> they just like <laughs> moved to the city and out of the suburbs. It seems like they'd be happier. I know. And then they could have been like generationally wealthy. They could have like owned a brownstone for like $5,000 for 20 years and then their kids could have inherited it and then they would have had like millions of dollars of real estate God. she could have she could have written for the stage like yeah there's a lot they could have done anyway uh so you like this movie right i do cool. i like when i like when actors act even if it is like over the top and not always believable i just those fight scenes get me man i'm like hell yeah let's fucking do it let's go uh, do you have any <laughs> remaining questions or comments? Um, I just wanted to know, um, and I'll list them for you, but if you had a favorite fight that they got into. There's the first one, which is outside the car after the play, when the play goes really poorly. 
Um, the second one is that he doesn't want her to get an abortion. And then the last one is, of course, Michael Shannon sparks it. And that's why he says, you're a shell of a woman. Um, and she goes running off through the woods and, and all that stuff. I don't love you anymore. All that kind of stuff. Which one's your favorite out of the three? My favorite fight probably is the one that Michael Shannon sparks because he's like, you know what? Fuck it. <laughs> yeah like absolutely <laughs> and he calls him on the shit like he calls leo a coward or he calls frank a coward um for his like anti-choice shit which is bullshit and then uh just kind of tears down this like fake image that they're trying to hold up um yeah. for no reason which i appreciated so i was like yes tell them, like talk their shit but that was also frustrating because then frank would just not let his wife think <laughs> yeah for and i sure. was like frank has some like trauma in his life that he needs to unpack um, my favorite fight is the first one after they get out in the car mm. uh, where he's like, April, get back in the car. <laughs> you have to come to terms with the fact that you're a shitty actor. It's not my fault. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. That, that's so when I was, like, I, was, I was like, oh, no, these are two immature people. That's what yeah. we're about to watch. Um, Absolutely. Another connection between our movies is uh, a scene where it's get back in the car. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Would you watch this movie again? I'll be honest, probably not. It was such a yeah. bad hang. <laughs> so funny. I really like can't tell if like this movie has I think this movie might have aged poorly and I think people generally don't like it anymore. I was impressed by it. I w- and I hate to say it, I was just like kind of bored. Because it never vacillated or never like fluctuated in like That's a fair point. It was just like kind of unrelenting. So I was just like by the end of it I'm like, Ugh, you know. Um, one of those but that's also means that it was effective in yeah it, it was effective in that way though um okay so if i uh wanted like more of either kate and leo or just this kind of energy or whatever more movies like this what should i watch we gotta come up with like a snazzy little title for this section but um obviously titanic it's a good double feature um if you haven't seen it and you want to watch more of these two i suggest it highly <laughs> um <laughs> another one yeah like what the yeah of course um another movie i would suggest uh that reminds me a lot of this movie is marriage story um in marriage story you do get like a little bit more of a sense of why they fell in love like they are kind to each other in comparison but you know there is the line every day I wake up and I hope you're dead. So it's not that kind. Um, but then they <laughs> but do. Is. But then she ties her shoe. And I left alone sobbing in Harkins <laughs> at like 11 p.m. <laughs> oh God, that movie. Merritt Weaver's in that movie. Fuck yeah, Merritt Weaver, my girl. And then another movie I would suggest uh, that reminds me a lot of this movie actually, where you get like sort of the back and forth. Um, is Blue Valentine, the uh, Michelle Williams and Ryan Gosling joint. Wow, that is quite a film. <laughs> Derek C. in France, man. Uh, it also kind of, I almost put that movie down for my suggestions. Um, oh, there you go. So, <laughs> The only other note I have for Revolutionary Road is that sometimes people just want to sit in silence and that's okay. Oh my God, dude. Just she, He just she, needed to take three deep breaths. All right. Let's hop in the car before it lights on fire and talk about two for the road. Yes, but first let's take a break. Amanda, it's sad, but there it is. Life. You watched two for the road. Why don't you tell me what happened in this film? I mean, ain't that the truth? (laughs) 
All right. So I'm going to give a very unconventional blind spotters summary um, just because this movie jumps between five different storylines and there was no way I was going to be able to like express them clearly uh, to somebody who has not seen this movie, maybe doing chores, riding to work, anything. So I'm going to give you like a, a summary summary, a summary of the summary of the movie. All right. So the movie jumps between five storylines, as I said, showing a couple, Joanne, played by Audrey Hepburn, and Mark Wallace, played by Albert Finney, from the first time they meet, a vacation with their friends that ends poorly, <laughs> a romantic getaway, a trip with their kid while things are on the rocks, and then the current day while they are considering divorce. Um, as a couple takes the trip that they've taken from England down to the French Riviera, their marriage is falling apart. Um, they pass places and stay in hotels that they had in the past, invoking memories of their time together on this on this like little road trip that they've done before. Some are happy memories, like finding out Joanne is pregnant or the first time they spend the night together, and some show breadcrumbs of their fights um, that lead us into where they are in present day, like questioning if they even want kids in the first place or adultery on both of their parts. Um, along these memories, we meet a high-strung couple and their horrid child, um, someone who would become Mark's boss who takes all of his time away from him, and David, the man who Joanne would marry if Mark ever died. Um, in the end, they decide to be in love and stay together and how else is he going to find his passport if they don't stay together? So um, that is like a very short version, but it felt like the only way I was going to be able to tell people how what this movie was about. <laughs> As a person who's pro quick summary, loved it. Did a great okay, job. good. <laughs> All right. So why did you pick two for the road? This was a movie that I hadn't. I don't even know why it came on my radar. I just threw it on and then instantly fell in love with it. It combines classic Hollywood romance with like French New Wave energy, uh, big movie for Audrey Hepburn, like kind of turning the page in her career, and maybe probably Stanley Donnan's best solo directed film. He had done um, a few with Gene Kelly uh, as a co-director, you know, Singing in the Rain, On the Town, It's Always Fair Weather. Um, but in terms of his solo joints, uh, this might be his best effort. Um, just about a bitch and a bastard that fell in love. Man, ain't it all. <laughs> what uh on your first watch stood out what were your first impressions so obviously incredibly beautiful obviously for the time period in 67 a lot of people had to shoot on site so they shot on location in france all around the french riviera um and then they also shot at victorine studios in in nice which is a very very famous french studio for old hollywood um one that Catherine hepburn unrelated to Audrey Hepburn, also shot a lot of movies in. Um, <laughs> so that was something that stood out to me, just like it was just gorgeous to look at the whole time as well. And also like gorgeous faces and dresses and suits. Everything was gorgeous in this movie. Yeah, the costuming is outstanding. The hair and makeup is outstanding. The shots, especially, um, I'm not sure how I'm going to be able to explain it, but there's this one shot of... Audrey Hepburn, when she's in her youngest, supposed to be the youngest, the first time they meet, and it's like almost only her eyes that are illuminated, and her skin and bone structure is like perfect, and she's just so beautiful. So the whole thing is just very nice to look at. 
definitely way up there with like hottest couples ever put on screen, I think, at least to me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then obviously the timeline was one of the things that stood out to me. Um, this is probably the main takeaway of the film in For Better or For Worse. Um, but there are five main timelines that are literally like interspliced together in the way that two versions of themselves could occupy the same scene. They could be like trying to get picked up by a car as hitchhikers and then the car drives by and then the next shot is them older in the car as if they were the car that drove by the younger versions of themselves. So that is <laughs> that, if you haven't seen it, is exactly why I had to give the summary I did because <laughs> it's a lot of that. Um, but that is a huge part of this film. And I thought that was really, really fascinating. Not something I had seen before. Uh, it took me a little while to catch on to what was going on. I'm really like big on outfits. So like the moment they changed and she like wasn't in the red sweater, I like couldn't find the red sweater timeline again <laughs> in my brain for a little bit. Um, but I got it eventually. And especially like as the movie progresses and you know more about like where each setting is in, in their relationship, it got easier to watch and to understand what was going on. It is a little confusing just because it's almost like the, the timelines are in conversation with one another. Um like when you think about they're on the beach and they're like, oh, wouldn't it be great if we could clap our hands and a waiter would come? And then they clap their hands and then they're in the future and a waiter comes. And then they're like, oh, man, what if we could just like clap our hands and make everybody disappear? And then they clap their hands and like they go back to the other timeline. All that stuff is super fun, but also like rightfully confusing. Um, but I figured like in a world in which we have seen like Oppenheimer and Little Women and like uh, Dunkirk, all these other interspliced timelines, um, I, I figured you could keep up well enough. Yeah. Um, something that in my research or like while I was reading about this movie that came up was this idea that um, the logical sense of cause and effect is removed from this movie. Um, he might do something extremely romantic and then the next scene she could be yelling at him. Like there isn't the like, okay, they're happy now. Okay, everything is good now. Like like cause and effect like literally and so that can like make the uh story kind of hard to follow but i also thought that it really plays into this idea that these are memories that they're having i thought that was really clear um in this way where like your version of it like it only makes sense to you because you were there and you only need to see the little clip and when you drive by hitchhikers you th you think about when you were a hitchhiker and like little things like that I thought that was um, was really smart. I enjoyed that aspect as well, and and I also like if you don't get too caught up in like the timeline cutting and like oh where are we at in like logic, um, I think there's a really nice like rhythm and like lyricism to like the editing and the cuts and the quick yeah. zoom in quick zoom out shots of it, um, even down to like the script writing where the way they fight is kind of funny where it's like yeah I'm mad no I'm not. I'm mad. Like, you know, just yeah. they would repeat the same thing that the person had just said as like a, yeah, you're right. Um, and that for some reason kind of matched the flow of the timeline jumping as well to me. Yeah, I thought that was re really, uh, we'll talk more about the script writing, but mm. I thought that was a really excellent portrayal 
Um, another thing, one more thing I wanted to say about this, about the timeline is I was reading this article from Collider called Why You Should Watch Two for the Road. And they were talking about a typical match cut, um, which is like a very common uh, film technique where, you know, an example, of course, is in the beginning scene of 2001 A Space Odyssey, where the ape like throws the bone in the air and then the match cut that bone like is now the spaceship and we've moved to the new timeline. Um, That is a very, very famous one. Um, And this movie or and this article suggests that two for the road almost does like a practical match crossfade instead of like a cut, which I thought was really cool and like an interesting way to put it. And I like because I've made enough videos, I like have a very easy sense of like what he was trying to say by that mm-hmm. and i thought that was like that stood out to me as also a video editor you're speaking to me right <laughs> <laughs> so what have you thought about the most since watching so something that uh i've been sort of mulling over is that i really don't know albert finney as a younger actor that much um i know obviously he had an illustrious career as a younger actor but i'm Clearly more familiar with him from Big Fish. Um, I jokingly told you that Albert Finney likes to play characters who are in the water, uh, which I thought was very, very sweet. I liked the, all the scenes at the the pool or at the ocean. Um, but I also know him from the Bourne trilogy and Skyfall. But these are all movies that he played in like the last two decades of his life. So they're very different Um than this film and this energy that he has as a younger actor. Yeah, I was right there with you when I watched this movie for the first time. I was like, that's Albert Albert Finney was hot. Like <laughs> I do know Albert Finney was hot, but I didn't know like I didn't. any like I couldn't have told you a single movie he was in as a younger actor before seeing this. He has such an interesting like voice and cadence. It's locked in, like, you know, the time period, but also it does seem uh, kind of distinct with him. So uh, what else have you thought about? <laughs> I guess another thing about the uh, timelines, but it's just such a cool way to do it. Like, a, a very typical way is that there's, like, a past or a present, or there's, like, a very clear indicator that what we're watching is happening in the past that isn't visual. Um, the example that I thought of was Amy Dunn reading the diary in Gone Girl. That's how you knew that, like, the, even though these scenes are, like, on top of each other the way this movie is, you know that you're going back to the past. Um, and it's two timelines, not five timelines. So it is, it's just really different um, and so inventive and bold for the time, for any time, but specifically this time. Uh, what else have you thought about? So back to Amanda's sound corner <laughs> from Love the that. last episode. Um, I've thought a lot about the soundtrack. It is really gorgeous. And there, it's it reminds me of just like, you know, summers of being... In France, I guess. Like, I've never spent a summer in (laughs) France, but um, it just has that energy. And I feel like it fits the scenes of the movie really perfectly. It is instantly classic. Um, Henry Mancini is very, very famous. And he did the music for it, including the title track of Two for the Road. Um, He worked on it and reworked on it and reworked on it and reworked on it a lot. It was almost like a breaking point for him. Um... Donnan just kept asking, like, no, I want it, like, a little bit more like this. Um, And Mancini has said uh, in the past that 
While it was the hardest song he's ever had to put together, it ultimately became his favorite piece of composition he's ever written, um, which is really lovely. He has worked together with a few of these people before. Mancini, Hepburn, and Donnan all worked together on Charade. Um, but the how I knew him from before, like originally, I've no, I know a lot of his other movies, but um, he did the Breakfast at Tiffany soundtrack with Hepburn. Um, and he wrote Moon River, which is one of my favorite songs of all time. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think this movie is really tightly constructed in terms of like the shots, the the set design, the costume design, and the music. Like, even though you're watching like a marriage on the rocks, I, I, you're watching a marriage kind of uh, in trouble, um, it's still incredibly romantic. Like, I, I noted that this time, like, this is such a romantic bad hang. Like part of it's the charm with Audrey Hepburn and Albert Finney. Like I think Albert Finney was, despite being cantankerous and like a baby and a cheater, is also like incredibly winning. We have to pause and talk about your use of the word cantankerous. <laughs> that was incredible. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> is that is that a word not in the in the? I've in... never heard that word spoken aloud. I've only ever read it. Oh, fascinating. <laughs> that was really uh, good. Keep going. Despite the negative energy just seeping out of like all the cars, the colors and the music, everything you're seeing and hearing is beautiful. And so I'm just like incredibly charmed by it all. Uh, what were some of the first things you looked up about this movie? I'm sure there was a lot because I know whenever I watched it for the first time, I was like, I need to know so much more. First, I did the quick wiki read where I was like, did I get this right? Did I have all the timelines set up correctly? Um, I was pretty on the money. So I was pretty proud of myself. I did text and confirm with you. I was like, are there three storylines or four storylines? And you're like, four, but also five. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, just making sure I got this down right. Yeah. Um, so that was like a after and toward the end of the film uh, sort of look up. But afterwards, when I was doing my research, I wanted to know where this was in Audrey's career. She was most definitely like an established Hollywood starlet at this point. Um, she had already done Breakfast at Tiffany's, she had already done Charade, and she had already done My Fair Lady. Um, so those are some of the biggest movies in all of Hollywood history. Um, so she was definitely a known entity at this film. Um, but it also worked against her a little bit. Some people thought that this movie didn't quite fit her, and they didn't really love her performance because they were used to her playing these very like ingenue type roles. And here she was playing a lover and a mother and a wife and a adulterer and like these things that we had never seen her do. I mean, they talk about sex a lot in this film. We don't see sex a lot, but they talk about it a lot. Um, and that was just not really what we had seen a lot from Audrey Hepburn. And um, just a little fun fact that I wanted to note in reading about her point in where this movie came in her career was that this is the first movie that she didn't wear Givenchy, uh, which is a very famous like fashion brand, but she had been like signed to them a little bit. Like before that was like a thing, she was like, that was a thing for her. Right, right. Um, and it was because Donnan wanted to make her look more like approachable and especially in the younger scenes, um, they wanted her to look a little bit more run down. You have to believe that they like worked their way up to money, all that stuff. But even the like rich established scenes, she's not wearing Givenchy. My entire life, I thought this was, uh, it was Givenchy. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. 
Yeah. I um, like that. <laughs> but uh, I, I love this performance from her. Uh, it is funny to see those like uh, in like present time reviews of like, oh, this is like not the Audrey Hepburn we were expecting. And then you see the retrospectives and it's like, this might be her best performance ever. Um, yeah. Because she's exactly. so charming and lovable and she's biting. so cute. Elegant, cute. Um, yeah. And nasty. Yeah. Um, and like just really pulls off. I mean, it's the chemistry with her and Albert Finney too, but like just pulls off like the couple that like just snipes at each other. But, but you like, know that like they're gonna make out as soon as they walk away from you. <laughs> yeah, it's like and it's like this is a like a movie like Choose Your Fighter. It's like either depressed Audrey Hepburn or horny Audrey Hepburn, and both are in this movie. Yeah, hell yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's like hell yeah. Um, also, the fits are unreal. Like, really, just makes it's the sixes. so good. It's so good. Um, one of the uh, my little pieces of information here i can bring up now but the disc dress that she wears at the end of the movie when they're at the party um the like little like disco mm-hmm. looking sequin dress is in an, a museum in england you can go see it what else did you look up about this film um i wanted to know how this duo kind of came together i didn't know if it was a famous is this old hollywood mid hollywood because I think old Hollywood, I think like Jimmy Stewart. We're on the precipice of new Hollywood, like uh, okay. Bonnie and Clyde, uh, The Graduate. Yeah. Um, they're like right around the corner. Okay. So I didn't know if it was one of those old to mid Hollywood couples that had been in a ton of movies together and I had just missed it. Um, but this was the first time Audrey Hepburn and Albert Finney had been in a film together. It was not the first time that Donnan and Audrey had worked together. Um, but... So so she was his first choice. Um, Audrey Hepburn was the movie star for the role the whole time um, because of their previous work together. But Albert Finney was actually Donnan's third choice. And when I read this in my research, this was so validating because uh, Donnan's first choice was Paul Newman. And I kept thinking Albert Finney was Paul Newman throughout like the entire film. And then I would like have a close up of Albert Finney and I'm like, fuck, that's not Paul Newman. <laughs> that's Albert <laughs> Finney. So like I mentally just like replaced him as Paul Newman in this film oh like God. on accident. And then finding out that that was Donnan's first choice. I was like, that's validation right there. <laughs> that would be the hottest couple ever. <laughs> I know. So um, he actually turned it down. Um, and then Michael Caine was uh, Donnan's second choice. And I wasn't able to find out how that didn't come together. But I thought Albert Finney was very, very good in this film. So I'm glad it worked out this way. Did you read anything about like Albert Finney and Audrey Hepburn offset? No. Oh, my oh God. this is tell so the, exciting. Okay. I, goss. I, I love old Hollywood goss, even if it was a little uh, uh, destructive at times. Um so th- this movie gets filmed around the time where Hepburn's marriage, um, I forget what the guy's name is, Mel Ferrer, I think it's, I don't, I'm probably butchering his name. It doesn't matter. He's not Audrey Hepburn. Uh, their marriage was breaking down. And she, you know, she's a huge movie star at this point. Uh, she's, I think, 37 at this point. Um, and Albert Finney comes in and he's like been in like a movie. Like he hasn't been in a lot. Um, mm-hmm. He's from like a working class northern background, um, like the antithesis of Audrey Hepburn's, you know, elegant, aristocratic uh, personality that she has cultivated on screen. And so when they start filming and they spent 
you know, so much time together on set. They increasingly spent a lot of time together offset, you know, like his, uh, vibe, I guess, was like helping kind of disarm her and, and break down that, that facade or the break down that shell that she had to build up as a movie star. Um, to the point where like people thought affair, um, maybe who knows, oh. you oh know, my God. It, two movies where the act, everyone <laughs> thinks the actors are fucking, <laughs> You know, Albert Franny would like tease Audrey Hepburn all the time, calling her like Toddy Audrey or Audrey Sunburn. In fact, whenever they were casting for the movie, Donnan was had uh, Finney come and meet Hepburn at lunch or something like that. And Finney brought a friend and they played. He pretended that he was just like flamboyantly gay. <laughs> like, like and just after a while, he cracked up and broke character. And like that was the icebreaker for them. Oh my god, that's <laughs> like so just, funny! Just like just gigantic bombastic personality, I guess. Um, yeah. But they talked about how like uh, the author of the the book or whatever, Erwin Shaw, he visited set and they said like he was like, oh wow, they have great chemistry. They're like a pair of kids. They have all these little small jokes, um, inside jokes and whatever. But then whenever Audrey Hepburn's husband would come to the set, they would get like formal and a little awkward <gasps> and like, oh, we have to behave like grownups. Oh my god. Um, Scandal. It, it was never disclosed what, or confirmed whether uh, the relationship was like romantic, um, obviously, but apparently, you know, maybe Albert Finney had like hinted at it to his friends every so often. And there's there's so much more lore to this, but uh, it's it's so much fun to think of. I, who wasn't in love with Audrey Hepburn at that point in the world? Um, but to know that there was maybe a little bit of uh, mutual love there, mutual romance, mutual lust at the very least, um, is definitely worth a deep dive. That's just a little sample. Obviously, the big difference between our two films is that we do get to watch these two fall in love. Um, and But we also know from the beginning of the movie that it doesn't last. Like, he doesn't even know his daughter's name. Um, and Well, he does, but, you know, it, He's playing, you know what I'm yeah. trying to say. Um, but... You do get to watch them fall in love, and it is so cute and so romantic and like so lovely. Um, which is also why you're happy in the end when they decide to to stick it out. And um, she, you know, he needs his damn passport. I know. What is he gonna do? Um, I don't know why he doesn't just say, "Honey, do you have my passport?" <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's so fun. I think the last time I was this excited about uh, old Hollywood goss on this podcast was when you're talking about Jimmy Stewart having a big dick. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that sounds right. I love Jimmy Uh, Stewart. Anyway, so what else did you look up? (laughs) The last thing, of course, is I wanted to know how it was received. Just because I had never heard of it, you know, that doesn't always mean that it wasn't famous or popular, um, but it kind of wasn't that popular. Um, Critics loved it. Raj gave it four stars. Um, but it didn't do that well at the box office. It actually didn't even break even, um, which is a huge bummer. Um, Donnan even said not that long after the movie's production in 1973 that there were some changes he would have made. He wanted to make like the gravity of their relationship falling apart much more clear. Um, upon like second watch and second thought, he thought it was like too comedic. Um, and the scenes where they are falling in love were much more, uh, stood out much more than the scenes when they were falling out of love. Um, I think that's just because they have like great chemistry. Um, but you know, for the, for the filmmaker to come out and say that like, even he would have made some changes. 
kind of leads to like why this movie wasn't that successful. That bums me out because I love the comedy in this film. It helps me uh, buy into their chemistry more. Yeah. So it did get an Oscar and a BAFTA nomination for screenwriting. I was going to, like I said, come back and talk about the screenwriting aspect of it. Um, but it did not win, mm. unfortunately. Love a, love a movie that at least gets nominated for screenwriting, though. Always, as I was typing it in our outline, I was like, uh, sex cool kid award. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, do you have any favorite scenes or what are your favorite scenes rather? Yeah, I tried to pick one, but I ended up picking two. Um, so sort of in the beginning where they're trying to, I've talked about the hitchhiking scene a lot, but it just really stuck out to me um, when she's in the red sweater and she's like uh, imitating the like street sign and they're like clearly falling in love and it's so cute. And um, he's like eating that apple all like crazy and talking about a girl who ruined him. And then we meet her like in the next scene and, and all this stuff. They're just like their back and forth is very sweet. Um, and it's hard not to crack a smile the whole time you're watching it. Um, but a scene that like, as I was watching it, I literally said out loud to myself, whoa, that was really good was, um, there and like a perfect example of like the scenes overlapping with one another is this scene where they're watching a couple fight while they're standing in the store. Like the couple is standing in the store and they're fighting. Um, and, uh, Joanne and Mark are standing outside. And in one of the timelines, they're basically saying like, what could, like, why would they ever be fighting? What is there to fight about? And he says, money and sex and sex and money. And they're like, we'll never fight about anything. And then it, like, pans back to the inside of the, um, the inside of the cafe. And the fight is now being dubbed. And, like, the audio is syncing up to a fight that they're having now in a different timeline. And it, like, scans back to them. And I just thought that was, like, really, really cool. Like, how... Like the filmmaking of that part was really cool. Yeah, I love that too. Um, I just want to cite a couple more just because I love this movie. I love yeah, whenever they're uh, hitchhiking and like eating lunch and they, it, the match cuts basically are like she hands him an apple. They're in a car now. He's eating the apple. He hands her bread and then now they're walking and she's eating the bread. Like yeah. there's like a five minute sequence with that. Do you have any other questions about this movie? I have a question for you and then just some like other fun facts that I learned um, in my research. But my first question for you, I'll pose is, uh, have you ever watched the chronological edit? Someone no. repurposed it to be in chronological order. Fascinating. I have no idea how that would work. I mean, like I know how that would work, but like uh, how that <laughs> well, would work. <come> well, <laughs> <laughs> Well, the thing about time is. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the other things that I found in my research or just wanted to say and didn't know where to put them. Um, obviously, the disc dress that's in the museum I talked about, but um, Audrey Hepburn narrowly missed getting an Oscar nomination for this film, which like is part of this confusing thing where I can't tell how people felt about it because like, and maybe it's just one of those Oscar things where like the critics knew the Oscars are like m movies the common people don't care about. The common people. That well, sounds now so obnoxious. No, no, no. But like but... now they are. Like uh, if you just think about the movies that win, like who watched most of the 10 nominations? Like Drive My Car was seen by people who follow the Oscars. It was not seen by like Joe Dirt down the street just like watching a movie on a Friday night. Like Right. They went to go see A Man Called Otto. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, so I really don't know like how people felt about this movie, but um, she narrowly missed an Oscar. Um, the Academy uh, had to choose between another performance that she did that year um, in 1967 um, for a film called Wait Until Dark, and she uh, was nominated for the latter. So, Of course she was because she was playing a blind woman. Yeah, uh, that's how that happens. Um, and then the only other thing I really wanted to say was I absolutely hated the child in this film, and I yes. almost turned the movie off. <laughs> so I could not deal with that fucking kid. So uh, like on my letterbox ranking, it is four and a half stars, and that half star is because of Ruthie. Yeah, when she threw the keys out the window, I like had to take a really big, deep breath. This movie kind of digs at Americans. Oh. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> like all the Americans are just obnoxious as hell. Yeah. My last fun thing about this movie is that um, the guy who plays um, the like very fuddy-duddy uh, American driver is Mr. Feeney. So that's fun. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was really hoping you didn't put that together. What the yes. fuck? <laughs> For any, that is like Zach's favorite show of all time, Boy Meets World. I, I guess like after One Tree Hill, but I'm like so <laughs> thrilled that I got to break that news to you, Holy and I was like shit. really waiting. I'm just stunned. You'll hear it when you watch it again. Holy I like shit. learned like early because I'm always on IMDb, and then I like couldn't, I like couldn't stop hearing it. Now I need him to like say Mr. Matthews in the movie. Like, it's so good. Oh my god! I'm so excited. <laughs> I am shook. Fuck yeah! Okay. Wow, great job by you. Nice. Woo! I win the episode. Yeah, you do. Fuck. Oh hell yeah! All right. Um, anyway, <laughs> I'm pack up now. Yeah. <laughs> do you have any <laughs> questions for me? Or Is anybody else on Boy Meets World? Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, that was the only one I saw. An Albert Finney episode. Um, okay, um, one of the questions I have was like, was the time jumping too confusing? Um, at times, but once I figured out that there are five timelines and not four or three, then I had an easier time. Yeah, and plus it throws you off because they have that like half timeline with him cheating. Yeah, and like half of one of the timelines, they're with the other family, which mm. was the indicator for a long time, and then they are not with that family. <laughs> no, they are not. Um, do you have a favorite car? <laughs> yeah, actually. I'm not like a huge car person, as discussed in the Fast and Furious pod, <laughs> but um, a car came on screen, and I literally said, wow, that's beautiful, and then moments later they set it on fire. Uh, so it, was <laughs> the, it was the green car. The one with um, the donk? Yeah, exactly. Um, that car was beautiful. I'm so sorry I had to catch on yeah. fire. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed the white car toward the end, but um, I did enjoy the fact that the better the cars got, the worse their marriage was. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's part of it, right? Yeah, true. Um, did you have a favorite timeline? Probably a tie between that timeline when she says that she's pregnant and the first timeline mm. um, when they're first meeting. Yeah. I, like I think too. those are the most romantic timelines. Yeah, for sure. Um, when they're when they're both sunburnt. Oh, it's so funny. <laughs> they're I, both so sunburnt and so horny. 
I loved that. That was really cute. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that too. Um, well, if you want more movies like this other than Audrey Hepburn's filmography, um, I will name two actually in her filmography. Uh, watch Charade. It's again another Stanley Donen joint um, with Cary Grant. It's fun. It's sexy. It's funny. It has one of my favorite jokes about Cary Grant in it. If you want a more romantic, cutesy classic uh, of the genre, um, watch Roman Holiday um, for all the reasons that you might ever read or hear about it. Uh, is I understand correctly, it was Audrey Hepburn's like breakout um, mm-hmm. role and performance, um, and you see why uh, it's it rocks. Um, if you want to see more of the sour side of relationships, um, watch Journey to Italy. It's an Ingrid Bergman joint where she just has a really shitty husband and uh, goes on tours uh, in historic sites in Italy. That sounds great, beautiful. To it's be a honest. great hang. It's a great time. She brings out a Rolly Flex. She's a medium format girl, um, oh. which I respect. <laughs> we love Ingrid Bergman on this show. Yeah. I mean, we love Ingrid Bergman on this planet. And then lastly, uh, you could just watch the whole Before Trilogy. I feel like you could splice up the Before Trilogy and make a two for the road type situation. Mm-hmm. But um, watch Before Midnight. I think that's the most similar um, in terms of uh, a marriage or a partnership um, hanging on by a thread. And maybe they'll, you know, find a rope to pull it all together. I don't know where the knitting. I was like, where are we going with this? <laughs> anyway, watch Before Midnight as well. It's a good one. Uh, last real quick thing in terms of fun facts. Did you know the writer of this movie also wrote Eyes Wide Shut? No way. <laughs> I did not know that. Oh, wow. It's not as good as the Mr. Feeney one, but, uh. We're fucking even though. That's good. <laughs> wow. I fucking love Eyes Wide Shut. <laughs> I know. I, I I still have not Kubricked, but we'll get there one day. Anyway, we did it. We did it. I think this might be one of the easiest, which movie would louis love more <laughs> it's gotta be two for the road yeah those colors are so pretty it's so beautiful yeah he will I agree. love looking at france yes loves france loves france um all right what are the next movies we're breaking down for october hell yeah all right so for october we're watching some genre classics i'm so excited to talk about this movie. Zach is watching Halloween and I will be watching It Happened One Night. So Zach, what do you know about Halloween? I know it takes place on Halloween. I think the dude's name is Michael Myers uh, and the Scream Queen Nepo Baby, but also worth her title. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is in it. Am I going to be scared? I don't know. Okay. I don't think so. I'm going to watch it in the daylight either way. That's fine. Okay. Yeah. I would say it's not gruesome, but it is like the original, I guess not the original because we just gave that to Psycho, but the original revival of the slasher film. Okay. I see. That makes sense. And the like, the very, very famous like score adds a lot of uh, tense intensity to the moment okay okay what do you know about it happened one night um i know that it's a clark gable film and that it's from a really long time ago (laughs) that's like kind of all i know but like that could be like the 40s that could be like the 20s like i don't really know when this film took place i just know it's in black and white (laughs) if you split the difference you're you got there oh okay so it's a it's a 30s film 
It's another pre-code joint. Original enemies to lovers. Like when we talk about Cortex, this is like literally a Cortex. Hell yeah. That's what yeah. Halloween is too. Oh my God. I'm so excited. This is, okay. this is good. This is good. Genre um, other classics. Than those we named staples, it correctly. Genre classics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Better than Love on the Road, even though one is on <laughs> a road and one is on lots of roads. Um, what else is on your watch list? Bottoms is coming out in a few weeks. Fuck yeah. And I cannot wait to see that. Um, that is going to be really, really fun. Um, and then uh, continuing down my list, I have a few James Bond movies. I've got some discs sitting in my apartment that I need to watch so I can get back to Max and continue on my Bond journey. Um, but as discussed, I've also been trying to get more of the Martin Scorsese classics before um, Killers of the Flower Moon comes out. So if I had to name one that's like highest on my list is going to be King of Comedy. Still haven't seen it. Still really want to. Um, so that will be on my list to watch in the next coming weeks. Um, and then lastly, a really good podcast series about Vietnam War movies is out right now that I listened to the trailer and the f- part of the first episode and realized I have a lot more homework to do before I can fully appreciate this this uh, podcast. So um, I have some Vietnam War movies to watch. Um, a lot of them are have been on my list for a long time and are cinema classics, but I'll probably start with Platoon because I saw it streaming somewhere. So <laughs> I think it's been on Netflix for a while. I also yeah. have listened to the first like one or two. It's been a good like walking playlist or walking podcast. Yeah, it's going to be great. Um, I like Brian Rafferty a lot. So mm. um, I just have to have a little bit of a stronger sense of what we're talking about. <laughs> I can't wait for Bottoms. I literally cannot fucking wait for Bottoms. I'm now reaching like, don't show me any promotional mm, mm-hmm. footage. I don't want it. Like today it was like new scene leaked. And I was like, no, oh, no, no, God. no, 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 I know. I can't wait. I won't even be able to watch it until like next week because I'm going going to paris um how dare you i know i guess i could watch a movie in paris oh my god please watch it in france that'd be so fun all right zach what is on your list (laughs) all right um a few like out of left field ones but um i want to watch bullet uh a steve mcqueen classic uh that's on max right now right it's been on max for a long time and uh, a few of my coworkers have been like dude you love movies watch this movie because i don't really have a lot of familiarity with steve mcqueen um Another movie I want to watch is Smiley Face. Uh, I don't know what that is. It's a stoner comedy with Anna Faris. Oh, yeah. That's that's fun. It's just random. I, I am trying to desperately avoid movie talk. Um, I don't want any part of it, but I did get on like stoner movie talk. I, um, I know exactly what video you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, you know what? I'll check this out. Um, and then another movie that is completely on the opposite end of the seriousness spectrum, 1001. It's a 2023 movie starring Tiana Taylor um, that I've heard a lot of oh. great things about um, out of the festivals. It's been on Peacock for a few months now. So I just, as I am desperately behind on 2023 films, and hopefully September is a, a month where I really inhale a lot of them, um, I'm expecting to watch that one sooner than later. Oh, I've seen... Uh... I've seen like a clip of this. Oh, can I make one fun announcement that I'll be able to announce by the time this podcast comes out? Sure. I was accepted into the Phoenix Critics Circle. So exciting. I'll post when they post my headshot and my little bio 
and I sent out my address so I can get screeners. Wow. And I can and then go you'll to ship the them film to your friend festival. in Las Vegas. It'll be so fun. Um, it's been a joy writing for the Republic recently and getting to know people in the industry. So how exciting for me. Our podcast is officially like valid because one of us is actually in a critic circle. Yeah. And it's like in my on the Phoenix Critic Circle website, when my uh, bio is up, it is one of my outlets. Uh, blind <laughs> hey. spotters is one of my outlets. Hey. Nice. <laughs> I um. know. Someone told me that uh, they can't wait to check out the pod. They thought it was a great idea. <laughs> and I was like, thank you so much. Please do. That's sick. Uh, love that. Thank not you. To, um, not to like to leech off of that. No, please do. I don't know if. I announced it in our last recording. I, I don't remember, but I had a piece published on brightwalldarkroom.com, a website that we cite a lot about the movie August at Akiko's. Um, check it out. Even if you haven't watched the movie, read it. I, I tried. <laughs> it's really good. I have not watched the movie and I uh, loved the write-up. So you don't Thanks, have to friend. have seen the movie. You are one of my favorite writers. So Thank that you. does help. <laughs> Thank God. that would be tough (laughs) all right thanks everybody for listening you can always find a new episode of this podcast on the second tuesday of the month we're hoping to have a few more um uh, bonus pods out for you hopefully you guys have listened to the episode with bo sisan if not go back and check it out um they they being Zach and Bo cover um, they cover when Harry met Sally and it's very delightful. So hopefully we'll have more of those and just some other little snippety episodes of Zach and I talked about some films. So um, you can follow the podcast on Instagram at Blind Spotters. You can find us on X, formerly known as Twitter, according to the AP Style Book, at Blind Spotters. <laughs> yeah. Zach, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Zach Pocklove. And you can find me, as always, on Letterboxd. Where can people find you? You can find me across all social media platforms. Blue Sky, Threads. I know you're one of those Blue Sky invites. Wow. I'm fucking everywhere. Um, (laughs) At Amanda Liberto across all platforms. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) All right. This was great. Great episode. Great job, guys. Great movies. All right. Bye. Do you know what marriage is? Marriage is when the woman tells the man to take off his pajamas and it's because she wants to send them to the laundry.